Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the struggling church in Corinth. They were allowing the culture to influence them more than they were impacting the world. As a result, the church was crumbling. Paul's strong words of rebuke and encouragement teach us many things about how we as believers should live in a dark and depraved world. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10? And when you get there, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to finish the chapter beginning in verse 14. It says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, you judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the body of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things are edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the believers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. Verse 28. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many so that they may be saved. And then in verse 1 of chapter 11, Paul continues on and says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You may be seated. When I was a young child, I heard, I believe it was a pastor once say, and it's always stuck with me all these years. And he said this, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he can't be Lord at all. Let me say that again. If Jesus isn't Lord of all, he can't be Lord at all. You see, what that is saying is that Jesus cannot be part or just part of our lives. Because that word Lord 
is master. It's the one in control. And so he can't just be part of our lives or on certain days of the week in our lives, but rather he desires to be Lord of our entire life. In other words, we cannot compartmentalize our walk with the Lord from the rest of our lives. We can't be like, and, and I'm a huge compartmentalized guy and, I, and I, have, I have to struggle not doing this when it comes to my walk with Jesus but, because we can't be like, okay, this over here is my spiritual compartment, right? So when you need something spiritual, you need prayer, you need some extra Holy Spirit, like power in your life, you're like, okay, I'm gonna open up this box, this compartment, and I'm gonna pull Jesus out. And then you need, and then, and, and then you want to talk about politics? Okay, I'm going to put Jesus back over here and I'm going to go over to my politics compartment and I'm going to pull that out. Or, or, and then, but Jesus is still in the corner. Or if it comes up about your business, maybe you need knowledge or just learning about, you know, something, maybe Excel spreadsheets or whatever. You're like, okay, I'm going to go to the, the business compartment. But Jesus... You, you have to stay over there because that's your little corner of my life. That's your little area. I've got you in the spiritual compartment. And listen, that's what many people do in their lives. They bring Jesus into only part of their lives. But listen, you and I are called to submit our entire life to the kingship and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Not just what we do on Sundays, not just when we pray, but he desires to be Lord of your finances. He desires to be Lord of your sexuality, of your politics, of your marriage, of your career, of your, your hobbies, the podcasts that you listen to. He desires to be there too the video games you play and the amount, the, the amount thereof. He desires to influence that part of your life. And on and on and on, I can go and list. Jesus desires to be Lord of all. Amen. Now, chapters eight through 10 that we've been looking at here in 1 Corinthians is a whole section where Paul is addressing this question about meat being sacrificed to idols. And if you're visiting with us for the first time, it might sound very weird, but let me set the context. And for those of you who have been with us in this journey, you're like, again, another week in this? Next week will be different, I promise. But to set the context, in the ancient world, most people didn't eat meat every day. It just wasn't part of their diet like it is ours. But if you did eat meat, it probably was at a temple where people brought animals to be sacrificed to all of these false idols and gods. And in Corinth, uh, in ancient Greece, you had pagan temples all over the place. You had uh, temples dedicated to Aphrodite, who was the sex goddess. You had Greek gods all over. You had Zeus and Athena. You had temples dedicated to Roman gods like Jupiter and, 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 and Zeus and Mars and Venus. You're like, those sound like planets. They were named after Roman gods. Like they were all over the place. And this is where people would have come and meat would have been sacrificed and they would have so much just left over from a sacrifice that they would throw big parties at these neighborhood temples. And so what we have to understand is that the pagan temples in the ancient world were kind of like the restaurants of their day. This was just part of everyday life, or maybe not every day, but maybe every week life, that you would go out to dinner, maybe celebrate a birthday. Again, this is all where social life was happening. And so when Paul brings this up, he's talking about their whole life. He's talking about their social life. He's talking about their diet, their relationships, their meals, where they hang out. Again, he's talking about everyday life. 
And that's the heart behind his writing. How can we honor the Lord and be faithful to him in our everyday lives, in all aspects of our lives, not just what we do on Sunday mornings? And in order to be faithful to him, and in order to honor him, Paul calls us to have an undivided devotion to God. An undivided devotion to God. Look at verse 14. He says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Paul had just spent the last section of the same chapter reminding the Corinthian believers of Israel's failures. Israel had experienced so much liberty and freedom from the Lord that the Lord gave them. God had done amazing miracles for them by setting them free, taking them out of Egypt from captivity, captivity and slavery. And yet, as we looked at last week, they went to like worship false gods. They turned away from the Lord. And that's why Paul would say in verse six, now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. So he's saying we, we learn from Israel's bad examples. That's why it was written to us in scripture. And so right on the heels of telling them that story, he takes his pen and he, and he turns it in the direction of the Corinthian church. And he says, now you, Corinth, we've talked about Israel, we saw their failures, but now you, Corinth, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, you might remember that the Corinthians didn't think that they were in danger of idolatry. They said, oh, they, these, these idols, they're just wooden, right? They're just metal. They're, they're crafted by human hands. There's nothing to them, right? We're, we're in no danger here. And Paul says, yeah, yeah, they're not gods. And you're right there that you're worshiping, but they are demons. They are demons. There's a spiritual warfare going on here for your life. And as we looked at last week, idolatry is worshiping anything in place of God. Or another way to say that is idolatry is looking for something or to something to give you what only God himself can give you. And we can take good things in our lives, like our careers. That's not a bad thing. Money, our finance, not a bad thing. Relationships, maybe our, our dating relationships or even our marriage, and we, and we elevate it to the, the status of God himself. We would never call it that, but we do it, right? Because we make sacrifices around those things, right? We, we, we organize our whole lives around those things. And God, though, he's constantly warning his people against idolatry. But listen, it's possible to involve God in your life but not give him the place of supremacy over your life. Can I say that again? The reason why God is constantly calling his people to return, to come back when they're, they're out there chasing after all of these idols is because it's possible to involve God in your life, but not give him the place of supremacy over your life. And so the question for us all this morning is, is not, is God part of your life? The question this morning is, is God supreme over your life? And this is the case, uh, you know, of many of us, right? We say yes to Jesus. Many of us in this room, we've said yes to Jesus. God, I am all in. I'm inviting you into my life. But then we say, okay, you just take a, uh, you know, a spot on the, the, the mantle, right? Next to my other things that I'm all, all interested in. 
right? You just, you just, you just, you just take that spot right next to my, my sports hobbies, right? Ne- next to my video games, Lord. You just, you just add to my value in my life, right? But the Lord says this in Isaiah 46, remember this and stand firm for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Church, listen, there is only one true God and he alone is worthy of all of our praise and our affection. He is worthy of us building our entire lives around him. And Paul's whole thing is, guys, idolatry is nothing, or idolatry is something that you don't want to mess with in your life. That's why he's, he, isn't, he isn't telling them, hey, guys, don't, don't reason with idolatry, right? Just, you know, it's, it's just casual. He, he doesn't say, don't bargain with it. He doesn't say, compartmentalize your idols in your life. No, he says, flee from it. Run away, but not just run away just aimlessly. Run to the Lord. Be fully devoted to him. Amen? Okay, I just want to make sure I'm with you. you're with me. So in order to have an undivided devotion, which I hope and that is our prayer and our desire, is that we have to first remove those idols. But we also have to be careful not to just simply try and add Jesus to our ways of living, right? Like not just to sprinkle a little Jesus on top of our well-organized lives. Look at verse 15 through 22. I speak as to wise men. You judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord in the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? Now we're zooming out a little bit this morning because I don't want us to lose the context where we zoom in so, so, so far that we miss the forest for the tree. And here's what's going on. Paul mentions in this section three different meals. In verse 16 and 17, he talks about the meal of the Lord's Supper. And then in verse 18, he talks about meals associated with Jewish sacrifices and traditions in the Old Testament. And then in verses 19 through 21, he talks about meals at pagan temples. But the key word, there's a key word in all of this, and it's found in verse 16, and it's the word sharing. Let me read verse 16 again. It says, is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Now, that Greek word for sharing is koinonia. And many of you know know the Bible, you know what that means. Koinonia is often translated as fellowship or participation or partnership. And it's built off the Greek word koina, which just means common. 
So koinonia is a community of people that's built around something that they have in common. And so he says there, we share Christ. And he's talking about the Lord's Supper of receiving the bread and the cup and the idea behind what Paul is saying is that communion, worshiping the Lord at the Lord's table, the worship creates fellowship. And if and so again, so what, he's, what Paul is doing and showing these three meals is that if you have this fellowship, this connection with God, then you cannot have fellowship with demons. If participating in the Lord's Supper brings unity and fellowship and intimacy and connection with Jesus, he says, so too it is with the pagan feast. They too are designed to bring you into fellowship and connection and worship of these false idols. And Paul says to eat at a pagan temple banquet was to have fellowship at the altar of idols. And that's why he says very clear in verse 21, he says, you can't sit at the table of the Lord and at the same time, the table of demons. And for some of us this morning, that might mean some very explicit things that you need to acknowledge in your life. Maybe you're dabbling in the demonic realm. I don't know. But if that's you today, you need to heed this warning. But listen, it's not just about those extreme cases and those extreme instances. This is talking about when we worship things other than God. Spiritual evil forces, listen, they love it when we do that. And they're tempting us and they're trying to to move us in that direction, however we can, and it can be so subtle. You know, I, I, the last couple of weeks, I've been meeting up with a, with a pastor of a local church and just sharing our hearts. And, and he was sharing, he's like, Ryan, man, it is so hard to um, get like young families just to rally around Jesus. Why? Because there's sports now on Sundays. When I was growing up, like sports was like Monday night or Tuesday night and like a game Saturday morning. That was it. Now there's sports vying for kids' affections and parents' affections on Sunday mornings. You think that was a coincidence? No, that's a strategic play by the devil himself to get you and I out of church and out of fellowship and out of connection and intimacy and communion with the Father. And he's saying we, we, we cannot just simply blend our faith in Jesus with the culture of this world. Why? Because the two are at odds, right? These things are vying for our affection. They're vying for our time, our talent, and our treasure, But so often, that's what we do. We say, okay, you know, I want forgiveness of sin. I like this fellowship thing that you're talking about. I like some church stuff. I can believe in some of this stuff. So I'm in, I'm a Christian. I'm following Jesus. But giving up this thing over here that I love so much that I've been doing all of these years, I don't think I can do that. And I hear a couple little chuckles. You're like, oh, wow, who would ever say that? So what do we do though? Because we're all, we're all faced with this. We, we come to Jesus, right? He calls us to come and die and like pick up true life. What do we do when we're like, oh, not that Jesus, not that. What do we do? Two things. We compartmentalize sometimes. We say, okay, I can function in this world. I can just put Jesus in the drawer, right? I bring him out on Sundays, do the Jesus thing. And then on Mondays when I go to work and I'm hanging out with the dudes Monday night, watching football, like I, you know, just Jesus isn't part of that. And I can just do whatever the heck I want. We buy into the lie that says that Jesus doesn't care about all those other areas of our lives. But listen, he does. 
So we compartmentalize. We just kind of put different compartments in our lives. We're like, okay, this is my Jesus thing. This is my, my hobbies. This is my dude time. This is my whatever. Compartmentalize. The second thing that we do, which I think is even more dangerous, is that we try to synchronize. And what I mean by that is we try to blend Jesus with our lifestyle. We try to blend Jesus together with the world. We say, okay, I'm going to take what I believe about Jesus and all these things that, you know, that the world it, it seems to contradict with the Bible. I'm just going to like try to marry them together, right? And that leads to many people ignoring certain parts of the Bible. and just, They just appeal to a very generic concepts like love and peace without really defining them according to Scripture in any way. I'm just going to focus on God's love. You know, he just loves us. He's loving. Or he just gives peace, you know, the peace, 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 brother, right? Or oh, joy, joy, joy. I got joy down in my heart. Like, yeah, right. Like, but this, this, there's this temptation. And Paul says, I will have none of that. You cannot sit at the Lord's table and at the same time sit at the table of demons. And, and listen, church, I, I'm, not, I'm not just like spouting out these things like passionately. It, it, it first affects my own heart. I want you to know that. And I want me and I want all of us to feel the weight of this because it's possible to try to be equally devoted to the Lord and equally devoted to your career or your reputation or your pleasure or your comfort. And I firmly believe that Jesus is calling us as his church, not just to make him Lord of part of our lives, but to give him all of our lives. Every single part of us, every fiber of our being, every hour of the day. Why? Because he has given us so very much. And so we respond to him by giving him our lives. Jesus said this in Luke 10, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You think that was just like a, a fill-in word there? No, no, that was his heart for us, that we would love him with all of our strength and with all of our mind. Jesus himself calls us to an undivided devotion. You know, I think of Old Testament, case study for you, I love the book of Joshua. Love the book of Joshua. He takes over after Moses and uh, leading the, the, the crazy nation of Israel. But on when fast forward many years, Joshua 24, he's on his deathbed. And he's once again trying to exhort the leaders, kind of his final address to the people. And he says this to, to the leaders of Israel. He says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. This is the new living. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshiped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says, choose this day. Who's it going to be? Are you going to serve the Lord? Then do it. Do it with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Or are you going to serve the gods of the Amorites? Are you going to serve these false gods? Are you going to serve your career? Do it. But you've got to choose. You can't be on the fence about this. And Joshua, just as a leader, I love this. He says, just so you know what I'm going to do with my life, the rest of my life, I'm actually going to lead my family in this. He says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And he's leading them. He's calling them to decide. He's calling them to take action. Figure it out. If you're going to serve your flesh, just do that. I mean, don't do it, but like, just do it. 
and own it. But if you're gonna serve the Lord, go all in. Be all there with Jesus, amen? Jesus would say this in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is, this is very, very important. This is Jesus himself, New Testament, New Covenant. No one can serve two masters, Jesus. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. His heart there, you cannot serve God and your career. You cannot serve God and your hobbies. You cannot serve God and your what fill in the blank. The late poet of the 1970s, Bob Dylan, <laughs> once wrote about this very thing. I was listening to this song last night as I was preparing. I actually threw it in late last night. Bob Dylan said, doesn't matter who you are, rich or poor, you're going to have to serve somebody. Now, if Pastor Doug was still here, he would sing it for you. And he does it really well. Good Bob and Dylan impression. But Bob understood one, one concept. He says, you know what? It might be the devil. It might be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. But it's up to you and I and it's a, to, to decide who is it that we're going to serve. You cannot serve two masters, church. For you, you will either love the one and hate the other. You'll serve the one and not serve the other. Who's it going to be? Jesus is calling us as his church to an undivided devotion to himself. Now, let me say this. This is my disclaimer here, my little like fine print. <laughs> this does not mean that you need to separate yourself from the world. Okay? It doesn't mean that holiness is getting as far away from pagan, rotten sinners and non-believers as you can. No, listen. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. We are called to be a distinct presence where we are different. We're set apart, right? We have something different. We're not blending into the world. We're there in the world. We're there for them to see Jesus in us. We're called to be salt and light. Light in the midst of darkness. So undivided devotion doesn't mean that you're just separating yourself from the world, you're gonna live in a Christian bubble, but it also doesn't mean that we're saying that everything else in life doesn't matter, like God only matters and reading your Bible only matters and what you do at work doesn't matter. Your finances doesn't matter, like your emotions don't matter. Like I'm not saying that, but what I am, this is what I'm saying, is that by putting God in the place of supremacy over your life doesn't dismiss everything else, it puts it in its proper place which actually, this is good news. It actually redeems it. Because some of you are like, I hate my job. <laughs> like, I want to get out of my job. And you're like, okay, I just want to serve Jesus with my life. Listen, listen, put Jesus supreme over your life. Let him be Lord. Let him be master. And he gives purpose for you at your workplace 40 hours a week. Because not only are you working, you're not working for man anymore. Now you're working for the Lord. And, and the Lord is going to use you and your work ethic because now you're going to honor him. You're not getting out of work early, right, on Fridays. You're going to stay there and you're going to be there and you're going to be a bright, shining light for Jesus. And he gives you purpose. So let me ask you this morning, what part of your life are you tempted to hold back from the Lord? What part of your life are you tempted to hold back? Listen, we have to be able to acknowledge that in order to come before the Lord with undivided devotion. If we're still trying to suppress those things and, and not acknowledge those things, we'll never be able to be fully devoted to Jesus. We have to be aware of those things. Let them come to the surface. Let, let them come out. 
But the second thing that we need is, is sacrificial love for one another. Look at verse 23. He says, all things are lawful. He's quoting the Corinthians. They're saying all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Now, if you remember, a lot of the people in the church in Corinth, they had experienced this amazing freedom in Christ, but they were using it in a way to be able to say, hey, I'm free and I can do whatever the heck I want to do with my life, free in Jesus. And Paul's saying to them, no, 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 you're free, but your freedom is not the goal. Your freedom is a means to serve others, enriching others, blessing others. Yeah, you have freedom, Corinth. Yeah, you have rights, but because you have Jesus, we're called to lay down our freedoms and our rights in order to build up others in love. Alan Redpath said this. It's a lengthy quote I'm going to read to you. It says, you are saved not only that you might serve the Lord, but that you might live before other people so that nothing you do in your actions or reactions will cause offense. You will be able to go into the homes of non-Christian people and eat with them, converse with them. You will move among them in a natural manner, but never for one moment will you lower your standard of Christian living. You will do nothing that will put any kind of hindrance in the way of another, nothing that will be a stumbling block to him. Your first concern is the spiritual wealth of that person. It may be a social date or it may be a formal occasion, but deep down in your heart, your one purpose is that you might enrich that man spiritually. You are on the king's business and he grants no vacations. That's convicting. And we've seen this in the last few chapters that we, to use, we're called to use our freedoms, for, not for ourselves, not for our own interests, not for our own gain, but for for love and service of others. And so now Paul applies this to everyday life in a couple different ways. Look at verse 25. He talks about the grocery store. He says, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking for conscience sake, for the Lord is the, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. So he's, he's talking about going to the meat market. You go to the grocery store, go to the butcher. Do you need to worry about whether, you know, the meat's been sacrificed to idols or not? He says, no, 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 you don't need to worry about that at all. But Paul is saying that, that the meat that has been offered to idols and then it comes to the marketplace later is just like any other meat which the Lord provides and you're free to buy it, you're free to eat it, you're free to enjoy it, and you can do so with a clear conscience. I think of, of, of Paul's words to Timothy in First Tim, Timothy 4. He says, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God in prayer. So it's good, Paul says. You don't need to ask questions, just eat. Now, now he moves on in verse 27 from his example of what to do at the grocery store to being invited to someone's house for dinner. Look at verse 27 through 30. He says, if one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, he says, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. I mean, not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? 
Paul is saying that when you get invited over to uh, an unbeliever's house for dinner, he's saying, whatever gets put in front of you, eat it, like enjoy it. No questions asked. Don't worry like if this was meat sacrificed to idols or not. If they're serving ribeye, give thanks for the glory of God, enjoy it. Like praise the Lord, right? Eat whatever's put in front of you. But then he says, if the person sitting next to you, maybe they're, maybe they're a believer, fellow believer, and they say to you, hey, I, I really think that that this meat was first like offered up to Zeus or offered up to you know, Aphrodite. Or, and there's a connection here and they're really struggling with this as a, as a believer and it's reminding them of their past and how they used to be at all their time in the temple and pagan worship and all of that. Then he says, if that's the case, um, if it goes against their conscience, then don't eat that meat. Just, just don't do it, why? You're free to do it, but remember your freedom is not for you to do whatever you want. Your freedom is given to you to serve and love others. And listen, church, sometimes when we're called to love others, it comes at a sacrifice to our own desires, our own dreams, our own enjoyments, and our own pleasures. There's a sacrifice to love. But Jesus is calling us as his church to have sacrificial love for one another sacrificial love. Like, I love love. I like love. I'm, I'm down with love. A sacrificial love? Laying down my wants? <sighs> Laying down my dreams? Laying down my freedoms and my rights? Yes, yeah, sacrificial love. He goes on in verse 31, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We're going to come back to that verse a little later. Verse 32, give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men and all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Paul, Paul's heart, he's saying here, I am trying to reach as many people as I can with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I am willing to sacrifice myself for their good. And what Paul is modeling here is what he saw again in Jesus. Jesus, our king who came as a servant and even though he's eternally God, did not cling to his divinity, but made himself a servant. He suffered on our behalf. That's pretty much Philippians chapter two summarized. And Paul is saying, guys, that's what I'm doing here. I'm modeling this for you because it was modeled to me. I'm gonna give up my own advantages for the sake of loving others. If there's something that I'm doing in my life that's going to hinder someone to know, from knowing Jesus more, I'm going to get rid of that in my life. I'll give it all up. He says in verse 33, look at this one more time. I'm not, he says, I'm not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many so that they may be saved. Paul abandoned his rights. He forsook his liberties. He made unbelievable sacrifices because he loved Jesus and he loved people. And anything that would offend or cause another to stumble, Paul says, I would gladly, I would voluntarily set aside those things to reach others for Jesus. And this church is super convicting. Because I'll ask all of us this question, myself included. Are we out seeking our own profit in life? Are we out seeking the profit of ourselves? And just how are we going to, what are we going to get out of this? 
Because if I'm honest before you this morning, I am naturally a very, very, very selfish person. Super selfish. The things that I gravitate towards in my life are all about what's going to make Ryan happy here. What, what, you know, what, what's going to bring Ryan the most amount of comfort and pleasure and satisfaction? And church, selfishness clings to all of us. But the gospel of Jesus Christ calls for self-denial. There's no questions. The gospel bids us to take up our cross and to follow our self-denying master, Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ calls for full devotion so that we may live to him and we may live for him and that he may use us in our lives to bless and to sacrificially love those around us. This is the calling that God has placed on every one of our lives, not just my life, not just the pastors, not just the elders of this church, but all of our lives. This is the calling of the believer to love people sacrificially in the day in and day out, whether you're at the grocery store or at someone's house for dinner to have an attitude of service. How can I help? How can I serve? How can I give my life away more? We have to remember, church, that we have not been set free to sin. We have been set free from sin in order to love and serve others. And then the next verse in chapter 11, verse 1, Paul continues his thought here and he says, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Paul is not just sharing his story with us and with the church of Corinth. He's not just saying, hey guys, this, look what I did or whatever. No, Paul is calling us into this way of living. He says, now you, Corinth, it's your turn. Now you, Calvary Chapel, imitate this in your life. Don't just view my example. Don't just say, oh, wow, man, the Apostle Paul just really set the standard so high. We'll never obtain it. No, no, he's calling us. He says, pattern your life around this. To lay down your lives. Get used to it. Lay down your lives for the sake of the gospel. Why? Why do we do this? Because Jesus laid down his life for you and for me. Amen? <laughs> now, I want to close with the verse we, we, we skipped over, verse 31. Paul says, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, whatever you do, you're about Jesus. Do it for the glory of God. This means that we cannot have this compartmentalized faith that says that, hey, Jesus is Lord of these aspects of our lives. No, no, no. When, when we say Jesus is Lord, it's of everything. It's not God is just part of my life. Yeah, God is what I do on Sundays. No, 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 it's he reigns over my life. It's not, oh yeah, I need Jesus, you know, to learn how to read my Bible and to pray and do all of those things. Those things are super important. But what does God mean? Like, what does it mean to follow God and follow Jesus with your money? What does it look like to follow Jesus with your, in your friendships? What does it mean to follow Jesus with your anger? or with your past, or your future? 
What does it mean to trust Jesus with all of our lives and not just to give him just a little section and be like, okay, Jesus, fine. Like you gave everything for me, so I'm gonna give you this. (laughs) But to recognize and come to a place in our lives where we say, I want to live fully for the glory of God. My whole life, my marriage is about Jesus now. My career, it's not just about making money for my employer. It's about Jesus. How can I bring Jesus glory in the workplace? What I do on the weekends, it's not just about my fun and my happiness and my enjoyment, hanging out with the dudes. Like, that's great. But like, now you're considering Jesus. Listen, I believe young people in our day and and older people, but I see the striving in young people for purpose. They're hungry and they want something desperately that they can live for. And listen, if that's you this morning, there is no greater thing to live for than the glory of God, to be about his work, about his love. Why and and, and how can we do this? How can we live fully for the Lord with everything that we have? Like I said before, because God has given us everything. God doesn't need you. I want you to know that. He doesn't need you. God has existed before times past, like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect love, perfect joy, perfect peace, all of that. He created us, amen. We rebelled. He doesn't owe us anything. We can't demand anything from him, and yet he has continually given us everything. He gave us his only begotten son who lived a perfect life for us, and who took that life and offered it up as a sacrifice in our stead to deal with our sins, to forgive you and I of our sins, to remove our shame. Some of you have experienced immense amount of shame in your life. Jesus has removed it. And we don't have to live our lives under the weight of guilt, under the weight of shame. We don't have to live and try to earn approval of others or of God because Jesus came and died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the grave. And listen, this isn't about mustering up enough strength, you know, trying to live for something greater than ourselves. No, no, no. That's not about us doing anything. It's about him. It's that he lives, he lives in you and so that he can live through you. And in being united to him, being united to the resurrected Jesus, you and I can truly live fully for the glory of God. It's possible, church. We can live fully for the glory of God in everything at all times. You're like, it's not possible. Listen, with the Holy Spirit in you, it's possible. So Jesus calls us to follow him, not just on Sundays, but every single day of our lives and in every place. And maybe this morning as we close, Josh, you can come up. The Lord is calling us to just a deeper place of surrender. A deeper place of surrender where you're like, Lord, I I love you. But these things are, are, are st- I'm still holding on to these things. And Jesus is calling you this morning, church, to release it. 
whether that's your sin, he's dealt with your sin. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. You're like, I'm not a believer. Like maybe my, my husband dragged me here. My wife dragged me here. Listen, Jesus loves you. You're here on purpose this morning. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to set you free from the bondage. Maybe you're currently in bondage. Maybe last night you were just so in bondage and yet you're barely here this morning. He wants you to know that he loves you and he's for you. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Would you just surrender those things? Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anxiety. Would you give him your heart today? Would you come to Jesus and know the fullness of life that only he can bring? Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life to the full. We just settle for like little life. We're just like, yeah, just give me a little bit of life, right? Just keep me breathing, Lord. No, no, he's like, I want to give you supernatural life. Would you just respond to his love this morning? Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this study. Stay tuned for our next series coming soon.